This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Ah, welcome to Being Human. Hey, this is a podcast that helps you notice reactivity inside you and also reactivity coming at you from others so that rather than catching reactivity and infecting other people, you can do this really difficult but life-changing thing. You can stay connected, connected to yourself, connected to God. Uh, When I say connected to God, as I've mentioned before, I don't mean that we disconnect from God when we're reactive. It's something much worse we disconnect from our awareness of God. So by noticing reactivity in you and then eventually doing the deeper work of naming what generates it, you can actually stay more connected to yourself and awareness of God and then connected to others and that broad category of others. I like what the Bible talks about when it talks about others. You know, we've got our precious relationships, our loved ones, our friends and our family. Jesus particularly talks about this pesky category that's called the enemy. And I think one of the greatest gifts of the gospel is it gives us a way to actually connect to our so-called enemies. Some of you are watching this or listening to this, and you have actual life and death enemies. But most of us, our enemies aren't threatening our life. They're just annoying people, right? They're the kinds of people that are harder to love because they're irritating or we find them irritable. This idea of reactivity, this is what we really covered on the last episode, is how do we actually not lower our values, but how do we not let them get the last word anymore? And that's that's what I love about this theory is it actually gives us a way to still be ourself, but expand massively our capacity to connect. I don't know another way for the world to go well. So today, let's cover some new territory. Uh, Oftentimes, we get reactive because quite simply, we're carrying more than God has asked us to carry in the theory I was trained in, systems theory, that's what's called overfunctioning. I don't know about you, but I'm a classic overfunctioner. A lot of pastors are actually. We love to rush in and help. We love to be helpful. And of course, that's a good thing. But when you start to realize, oh man, when have I overrushed in? When have I overcommitted? Why do I, you know, anxiously rush in? Now we're in overfunctioning territory. And maybe the simplest way to understand that is quite simply when we're carrying more than God has asked us to carry. We sometimes cross into other people's territory. And so then on a simple level, what worry is, worry is the futile attempt to carry a load God has not asked us to carry. Have you ever been in a situation where you have a conversation with someone and you both walk away, but as she's walking away, your brain is going with her. Your brain's in her brain. And you're worried about what she thinks What does she think of me? This kind of, you know, and you're replaying the conversation. That would be a very simple example of God's territory because obviously Jesus himself said, whoever added a single hour to their life by worrying. But this is what we do as humans is it's hard to trust. It's hard to live by faith. I think it's very difficult actually to live by faith. And so instead we live by reactivity. 
we live by anxiety. And uh, this is the podcast where we believe that if you can relax into being human-sized, it's pretty amazing. You can actually relax into awareness of the presence of God. And one of our favorite traditions on this podcast is we light a candle. Now, some of you are like, this is episode three. What do you mean favorite tradition? Yeah, being human is a is a relaunch of a podcast I've had for years, for five years. The old podcast was called Managing Leadership Anxiety, where toward the end of that podcast, every episode we would light a candle. When I was chatting to my friends at Christianity Today, they were really digging the candle. They're like, let's, let's really highlight this. And so I'm thrilled to do it. This, in fact, is a Capable Life candle. Uh, I have an organization called Capable Life, Eucalyptus Mint. And what I like about this candle is the three words on it, connected, aware, and present. It's a three-wick candle that simply reminds us to be connected to God, to ourselves, to others, to be aware of what's going on, aware of God, aware of God's love, and to be present. So I'm actually going to invite you to do a specific exercise as we light the candle. Would you just have a think about maybe somebody in your life you're anxious about? Now, maybe it's because they irritate you, or maybe you are worried about them because of the load that they're carrying. All right, a, a, a person in your life you're anxious about or a situation that's coming up. Like before I light this candle, you could even just have a think about what appointments are coming up that I know are going to generate anxiety for me. So for example, when I was a full-time lead pastor, there were certain meetings that I just knew would generate anxiety in me. Every time I got up to preach, I'd be anxious. So this candle then is an opportunity to pause and just relax into the sovereignty of God and give that situation to God, which is kind of funny to say. It's not like you took it from God, but it's the uh, metaphorical handing over to God. So God, as we just continue this podcast, God the Father, we don't welcome you, God, but we do welcome a higher awareness of you. And we thank you that you are the creator of heaven and earth, that by you all things are made and sustained as Paul quoted the poets, in you, Lord, we live and we move and we have our being. We just relax into your presence, God. Jesus, the Son, once again, as Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, you emptied yourself. It's a stunning idea that you came as a vulnerable baby, that when Mary gave birth to you, uh, you know, in a sense, like she co-labored and co-created you, Jesus. And then there you are as a baby looking up at your mother who you created in your image. It's just mind-blowing. Jesus, I think about that journey that Mary and Joseph made when you were still in Mary's womb and just how alone they must have felt. And then just the mysterious reality that they weren't alone because you actually, God, Emmanuel, was with them. And Jesus, you are with us today. And I can't, Continue the prayer without thanking you for dying for us, for doing for us what we're incapable of doing for ourselves. And so in you, we find life and resurrection. Jesus, also, I have to thank you that death no longer has the final word because of you. The final word is now life. Holy Spirit, I have to confess with my faith tradition that is so cognitive. Spirit, sometimes I feel like you're a stranger to me. I'm not proud of that. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, you descended down and you animate us and you convict us. You show us where we need to repent. You give us the strength to get into every situation. And so, Father, Son, and Spirit, as we think about the people and the situations that uh, generate anxiety in us, 
We just pause to remember that you are with us now, but you are also already at work ahead of us in those situations. So thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit. As we enter those situations, we are not entering under our own steam. We're not bringing you into that space. You're already there. We are entering a space where you are sovereign. Thank you, God. Amen. That simple exercise, that just pausing and getting off the reactivity treadmill to remember that God is not only with me, but God is already ahead of me. Man, I have used that really ever since I was a chaplain. I used it all through my pastoring. I use it on a regular basis. I, I want to say a daily basis, but that's not true. There are days where I go through my day and I don't even think about God. I just live my life for better or worse. But just the simple idea that God is with me and God is already at work ahead of me In many ways, that's how I survived chaplaincy. The year I was a chaplain really was an onslaught of death and tragedy. And when I was doing those 28-hour marathon shifts, out of the 28 hours, you'd be working 18, 20, 22 of those hours. If you think about the life of a chaplain, it's very rarely relaxing. I mean, you know, no one's really sitting around a hospital room saying to themselves, we're kind of bored right now. Why don't we call the chaplain? He's a good time. People generally call a chaplain when they're at the worst moments of their life. So very intense job and very little break. And what really helped me was this simple exercise, remembering that I'm not on my own. I don't have to operate out of my strength. I can do all things through God who strengthens me. Okay, then I remember, okay, God's with me. But man, what really set me free was remembering when I walk into that room of death and grief, and sometimes I'd be walking into rooms of unhinged shock, and lots of anger and lots of accusation. You know, like I'm God's representative and a lot of people when they're in shock are blaming God and therefore blaming me. And as God's representative, and I was really young, I was 24 and I was such a people pleaser and I had such a need to make people feel better. Whenever they would blame God, I would take it personally, like I'm in trouble. So just managing all that reactivity in me, what really helped me is to remember when I walk into this room, I'm walking into a room where God is already there. God has beat me to it because God is always with the brokenhearted. And I'm walking into a room where God is sovereign and at work. And sometimes I see that and sometimes I don't. And so I practice that every time I preach. I practice that every time I'm about to meet with somebody that I'm challenged by. I now travel full-time and airports and planes and rental car lines and all of that. That A lot of people get really reactive in those situations, and I am prone to getting reactive. My reactivity often looks like self-righteousness. I get judgmental in those situations. I'll talk about that probably in a future show. Like So tomorrow, for example, I'm getting on a plane to go speak, and I will be practicing this as I pull into the airport. Okay, Lord, you're already sovereign in this airport. And I am not navigating this airport and the delays and all that comes with it. I am relaxing into an awareness of your presence in this airport. And my goodness, has that helped me. Okay, so that's the first exercise we use the candle for it is God is not only with me, but God is already ahead of me. What I want to do today is introduce two new ideas. And I'm going to do it briefly because these are ideas that we will just keep circling. If you think about this podcast, like we're just peeling the apple. We're going round and round the same ideas again and again. So these early episodes where I introduce some core concepts quickly and we just keep revisiting them. The first one is one of the simplest ways to notice reactivity is to notice it in your body. It's interesting because reactivity clinically 
doesn't start in your body. It starts in your beliefs. But it's actually easier to notice your body than your beliefs. Beliefs are really hard to notice. So the first tool I'm going to teach today and invite you to practice this week is how do you know you're anxious? How do you know you're reactive? And I'm going to give you five options. Is it a a spinning mind? Is it a racing heart? Is it a tightening body? Option number four, is it all three? Option number five, is it, I don't know, those are your five options. Where does anxiety start for you? Where does reactivity start for you? For me, it's a spinning mind. Let's talk about that one real quick. Typically, as I do my workshops, about 50% of a room will say it's a spinning mind. That's where their anxiety begins. That's mine. I'm feelings repressed and therefore I overfunction cognitively and therefore I am in a heavy cognitive denomination. <laughs> Our denomination likes to think and study theology. That's why I confess to the spirit that I don't know the spirit very well. Anyway, I try to worry my way to peace. That's my tendency. When I forget the Lord and I'm on my own, I'm trying to worry my way to peace. And the way I notice that is I go to bed and I'm thinking about it. And I can't shut it off. And when I wake up, I'm already thinking about it. Even though I'm not awake yet, I've not had the coffee yet. I'm already thinking about it. So for me, spinning mind. So if I can notice that I have a spinning mind, now I have an invitation from God. Now that I've noticed it, to get off the anxiety treadmill, get off the reactivity treadmill and pause and remember the Lord. And now I can start to do some work with God. What am I worried about? Is this something God's asking me to worry about or am I asking me to worry about? Now, (laughs) shoot, the answer to that question is almost always the same. It's very rare that God's like, no, actually, you need to be worrying about this thing. Okay, that's spinning mind. Maybe that's you. For some of you, I'll go quicker on these next two. Some of you, it's a racing heart. I had to go and speak in front of city council in our city for an affordable housing project this week. Um, I've been involved in affordable housing in our city for 18 years. You know, it's so weird. I'm quite comfortable public speaking, but my heart always races when I get to city council. I think it's because I'm not there very often. It's a formal meeting. It's hard to be myself. But boy, did I notice that when I went up to speak, everyone gets two minutes or three minutes to speak. And I got up to speak and I could feel my heart racing. And rather than give into it, uh, it's the same as my spinning mind. I'm, I'm getting off the anxiety treadmill and I'm just taking 30 seconds. In that case, it was a breath prayer and a breathing exercise. It was intentional breathing. And then for me, it was remembering the Lord. Lord, this air in my lungs, you've given me and I thank you for it. And I was actually able to manage my uh, heart rate. So for some of you, that's where it starts. The third option is tightening body. That can either be in your stomach, you know, the very healthy anxiety you get from public speaking. But for you, it's it's when you're meeting a family member or something. For others, it's like in your shoulder, you carry it in your, your shoulders. I had one lady tell me, my neck meat gets red. And that was kind of funny because she said the phrase neck meat. Anyway, for some, it's a clenched jaw. Your dentist has prescribed for you like a mouth guard to stop your teeth grinding at night. If your answer is all three, what that means is you're not aware that you're reactive until you're really, really reactive. And so this week, your homework is to notice, can I actually ratchet my anxiety, my reactivity back so that I can begin to see where it first shows up? Because eventually it'll flood your whole body if left you know, on its own. That's the problem with reactivity is it doesn't diffuse itself. You have to actively diffuse it. So I use reactivity as a discipleship tool as an invitation to connect to God. If I can notice anxiety in my body, 
that just gives me more and more opportunity to remember the Lord. For some of you, this might be your first time ever trying this. And so let me just say that one out of 10 is an A plus in this work. When you first begin this work, if you can just notice your reactivity one out of 10 times, that's an A, that's an A plus. So those of you who are prone to perfectionism or those of you who are prone to control, it's gonna be hard for you because you're gonna expect yourself to get this right every time, but that's not the way it works. So this week, what you can do is a couple of things. You can just be more aware of your reactivity, your spinning mind, your racing heart, your tightening body. Or if you really want to do advanced work, please me, is, uh, man, set a calendar date. Open up your calendar right now and just say, okay, for 15 minutes on Wednesday morning and for 15 minutes on Saturday afternoon, I'm going to just reflect on my week and notice when I was reactive, when my body was activated, and just reflect on that. I'm going to debrief. And then eventually, you'll be able to start to notice it sooner when it's happening. And then eventually, over weeks and months of this work, you can actually preempt it. And so, for example, I started this process of noticing it in debrief, and then I could notice it in the moment. And then I realized, oh man, every time I preach, I get anxious. Great. What am I anxious about? Great. Now I can preempt it. Now as I'm walking out to preach... I can relax into God's presence as I enter the space, as I walk out in front of that music stand that I preach from, and I'm entering a space where God's already sovereign. I can relax into the Lord. It's amazing. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, A new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m. we're we're in in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and they're they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, Every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come come here? Why? I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't... I I didn't come home. But all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. For the rest of the podcast, what I want to share is where does our reactivity come from? Reactivity, chronic anxiety, it's a form of anxiety. It's unique in the field of anxiety and that most anxieties are generated by something true, like grief is generated by a real loss and trauma is generated by a real thing that happened to you where you were not safe. Acute anxiety is generated by a real life and death situation, like when you are avoiding a car accident, for example, or if you're ever in a public space and you can't find your child, that's real life and death or real danger. Those are all built on something real. Reactivity is so sneaky because it's actually not generated by something real. We covered this in the first episode, so this recap. 
Reactivity is generated by something false that feels real in the moment. That's why your body reacts. That's why your brain speeds up. That's why your heart starts racing is because you believe in the moment that you're in danger when you're actually not. So reactivity is generated by something false. It's false needs generated by assumptions. So for example, if I'm with somebody and they are disappointed in me, I have a false need or a false belief that I should please everybody, right? Now that's ridiculous, but that's a false belief of mine. In the moment, my body acts and my thinking acts as if I am in danger or as if something is wrong with the world. Some of you, it may not be people-pleasing. Like me, it might be something like perfectionism. The way you can tell it's a false belief is by your overreaction when you don't get it. So, for example, if somebody's disappointed in me, it can be as simple as me telling a joke and people not really laughing, even something simple like that. I had this little internal um, nuclear bomb that goes off inside me. It's like my belief is, oh, man, end of the world is nigh. Armageddon is about to happen. That's what's crazy about reactivity. Now, we're going to keep unpeeling this in the first core episodes. Our first eight or ten episodes of being human are laying this foundation. And then we'll start to have guests on and we'll be interacting with guests. I'm really excited about it. But as I'm sharing and then as my wife comes and joins in a couple of episodes time and my friend Jimmy Carnes comes and joins, we'll just keep teaching these core ideas. But for now, the two things we've really hit on is learning to notice your body because most of us ignore our body because as Christians, we're too cognitive. We don't believe in holistic discipleship. So the first tool is, okay, how about paying attention to your body this week? But the second tool is paying attention to the way your false beliefs get activated when you don't get what you think you need. So reactivity, what's clinically called chronic anxiety, it's generated by assumptions we hold inside us that are not true. And you and I have, oh, like dozens. We all, all of us, including me, I've been doing this work for a couple of decades now, but I still hold assumptions inside of me, dozens of assumptions inside of me that aren't true. And the reason reactivity gets contagious, the reason we catch it and spread it is because we put our assumptions on other people, we put expectations on other people based on our assumptions, they put their assumptions on us, they put their expectations on us, and thus reactivity becomes contagious. The expectation coming at me infects the assumption inside of me. I'll give you a simple example as a preacher. Part of the job of my podcast, for those of you who are followers of Jesus and you've always kind of wondered about the inner world of the pastor, hi, I'm here for you. Here's what I know about preaching is I love preaching and I love theology. And many people in the congregation, particularly if they've been a Christian a while, have a strong opinion about preaching. And so after I preach, sometimes two types of people will come down after the sermon, and I call them the Romans people and the Revelation people. Now, those of you who are pastors, you know who I'm talking about, the Romans nerds and the Revelation nerds. The Romans nerds are coming down and they want more Greek exegesis out of me. They love when the preacher opens up the Greek text. For those of you who may not be familiar, the New Testament was written in Greek and then translated into English. And so those of us who have had kind of a Bible education, we were required to learn Greek, the original language, and in the Old Testament, we were required to learn Hebrew. 
some of it. Honestly, it's quite exhilarating to study the scripture in those original languages. But sometimes you get a congregant who's been a Christian so long, they're looking for deeper insight. They're looking for more Greek exegesis. And so these Romans nerds will come down and they'll say, Steve, great sermon, but look, what I really want out of you is more Romans. Okay, I get that. But then I get other people coming down and they're obsessed. They're freaking obsessed with the end times. Revelation, the end of the world. They love to read the signs and read the scripture and put them together. What I say, this may be unfair, but they love themselves some Kirk Cameron. What they're looking for is more Kirk Cameron in their life. And what's interesting about these two is they both love scripture, but they would never get along with each other. Sometimes as a pastor, I'm like, how can I get the Romans nerds and the Revelation nerds to meet? Because I believe what would happen when they meet is they would like self, self immolate, they would like cancel each other out. But what happens is those people are putting expectations on me that I will not or cannot meet. But as they're putting their expectation on me, my assumption about myself that I must make everyone happy gets infected by their expectation of me and thus the transfer of reactivity. And then I'm now disconnected. I am disconnected from them because I'm all full of the need to please them. And what that most commonly looks like in my life is appeasement. Rather than telling them the truth, I flatter them or I appease them or I make myself smaller and I don't give them my whole self. And so, you know, for the Romans crowd, I might say something like if I'm in a reactive state, I might say, oh, good, okay, thanks, I'll take that into consideration. Rather than saying what is true to me, which is, look, I don't believe a preacher should use a lot of Greek from the pulpit because I think it makes people mistrust their English Bibles. And the English Bibles were translated by people way smarter than I am. So no, I won't be doing more Greek exegesis. Thanks. Welcome to the church, you know. And then the Revelation crowd, what I want to say to them is, stop opening your newspaper looking for the end times and start loving your neighbor already, right? But instead of that, I tend to appease and now I'm reactive. And so that's just a simple idea of reactivity, assumption, false belief, the need in the moment to like feel better because reactivity or chronic anxiety always feels like acute anxiety in the moment. And that's because this is where we kind of want to leave today's podcast and then we'll pick this up another time. That's because at at its very heart, reactivity, chronic anxiety, is generated by false belief. That's what makes us anxious. Now, when I say that's what makes us anxious, there are all kinds of anxiety. Some people, you are anxious because of a chemical challenge and you're taking medication. I'm not talking about that kind of anxiety. I'm talking about just the reactivity. What generates reactivity in us is false belief. And that right there, that moment right there is why as a pastor, I've given my life to studying reactivity and systems theory because I believe there's a whole avenue available to you and I of discipleship, of spiritual growth, of enjoying the God we worship if we can learn about our reactivity because the foundation of our reactivity is false belief. And I have bet my whole life You know, those of you who joined me in episode one where I shared my own spiritual journey, I'm pushing all the chips in that Jesus sets me free. It is for freedom that I've been set free, as Paul tells us. When Jesus said, you can know the truth and truth can set you free, I've put all my chips in on that. 
And I think historically in the church, maybe we have limited that statement of Jesus, you can know the truth and the truth can set you free. I wonder if we have limited that to salvation, eternal life. What I'm interested in on the Being Human show is being set free moment by moment, is waking up this morning and saying, what am I anxious about today? What am I worried about? Is God asking me to worry about that? Can I exchange the truth for a lie? If my reactivity is based on false belief, that those Romans and those Revelation people, I have to please them both, but Jesus set me free to respect those people enough to tell them the truth. I don't have to tell them off, I don't have to punish them, but I can define myself and say, no, I'm never gonna do that. That's not the kind of preacher I am. Just to let you know right now, like being in truth, because the fact is, as Pastor Rich Velotis reminds us, God exists in concrete reality and reactivity always puts us in illusion, in false reality. That's why it's hard to notice God when we are filled with reactivity because we are no longer in concrete reality. We're now in illusion or a false reality. When those people are coming down front and I'm feeling a need to appease or please, I'm in an illusion. I'm wrapped up in myself. I've forgotten the Lord, but Jesus sets me free. So at the heart of this podcast is the idea that you and I have these core beliefs. We have these core beliefs that drive us subconsciously and consciously. And if we can just get to them, we can actually invite God's work in them and be a freer human being. Maybe you're watching or listening to this and you're saying, I don't feel very free. Where Jesus offers peace, I don't feel like I have peace in my body. You are who I'm talking to. Most of my work full-time is actually doing this work with Christian leaders because I believe, man, if the leader can experience the freedom and peace of Christ in their body on Wednesday morning, on Saturday night, then the people, the leadership kind of infects. So if you have a healthy leader, now they can infect the organization with health, with well-being. They can reverse the infection transfer Core beliefs, uh, these are the beliefs that drive us that we may or may not be aware of. As I shared in episode one, I was not raised in the church. I became a convert as a teenager. And then I got my Bible college degree and I did my master's degree in theology and I've given my vocational life to ministry. The reason I say that is I just always assumed about myself that Jesus is my core deepest belief. But I don't know, it was like eight years ago now, I was chagrined to discover Jesus is not my deepest, most core belief. Now, Jesus is my most precious belief. That's true. Jesus is my sovereign king. But what was happening in my life is I was resetting to autopilot and I was operating out of these core beliefs. Rather than putting the trust of my life in Jesus, I was like defaulting back to trusting in self especially when Jimmy and Lisa joined me, we're going to get into why we do that and how to notice that. But that was the revelation of my life that even though I was a pastor helping others experience the love of God, that same love of God was elusive for me. So just today, what I'm going to invite you to do is to start considering, I wonder what core beliefs drive me when I'm not placing my faith in Christ. Now, That's a heavy question, and that can be a life-altering question, and so that's why it's so important to ask it in a spirit of self-kindness. 
if you are prone to shaming yourself or fighting condemnation, we'll actually be tackling that in a future episode. But for now, I'm going to invite you to ask that question without shame or guilt. Even though I've been a follower of Christ for a while, what if most of my life I actually operate out of a core belief rather than out of my precious belief in Jesus? Just asking that question without shame allows you to rummage around in the deeper parts of your life and notice the things you're living for when you're not living for God. Okay, so the way we've done it is a three-step process. First, you're going to notice reactivity in your body. Second, you're going to get off the reactivity treadmill because it's never leading anywhere. I'm worrying my way to peace. It's never actually getting there. And now that I'm off the treadmill and I can remember the Lord and I can relax into God's presence, I can exchange what I'm worried about for what God wants me to be focused on. Okay, now I have the freedom to say to God, okay, I wonder what I'm living for when I'm not living for you. I wonder what I need that I don't really need. And that's where I discovered my people pleasing and all of these things that we'll be diving into. So that's your precious belief in Jesus versus your core belief that often operates your life. In future episodes, we're going to dig into this more. We're going to talk about the story I tell myself about myself and the world we're going to talk about the nature of every belief. It turns out that every belief has a series of predictable patterns to it and then kind of help you notice what beliefs line up with Jesus and what beliefs are like killing me, you know? Which beliefs give me life, as Jesus promises? Which beliefs are costing my life? That's kind of where we're going with this. But for now, I want to close with something I read from one of my favorite, I want to call him a theologian, but I think he's technically a psychologist, Dr. Richard Beck is an author. He's a professor at Abilene University. I've been following Dr. Beck for several years. I love his writing. I've read many of his books, but I do get a daily email from him. And this popped into my inbox yesterday and I was so excited. I thought, oh, I'm going to close the podcast with this. When my life and identity are experienced as a possession, as something I own and therefore must defend, I'm prone to lash out toward anything that threatens my life, my status, or my resources. If, however, my life and all I have comes to me as a gift, then my anxious efforts to protect and defend attenuate. For if I do not own my life, I'm never at risk of losing it. Death anxiety loses its hold upon me and I'm free from the slavery of death. You see this dynamic quite clearly in the Gospels during Jesus' trial and crucifixion. Pilate cannot understand why Jesus isn't afraid, why he's not struggling to save his life. And the answer to Jesus' non-anxious peaceableness is found in Jesus' identity. Since Jesus knows his life comes from the Father, he's willing to offer it back to the Father as a sacrifice of love. You see that surrender in Jesus' final words upon the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. From first to last, Jesus' life was one entire outpouring of love. Jesus didn't need to fight Pilate or anyone else for that matter because Pilate couldn't take anything from Jesus. Not ultimately. Simply stated, when we live out of an experience of gift, our worries for self-preservation lessen and this creates the capacity for self-giving love. My life is a gift and I give it back to God in love and praise and thankfulness. See you next week. 
Being Human is a production of Christianity Today. It's executive produced by Eric Petrick and Mike Cospa. It's produced and edited by Matt Stevens. The associate producers are Mackenzie Hill and Ray Gilliam, with music by Dan Phelps, mix engineer Kevin Morris. Additional music by one of my very favorite singer-songwriters and friends, Andy Gallahorn, and graphic design by Amy Jones. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com/equip.